It's not, but it is the first Sunday of Advent. And in the Christian calendar, Advent marks the beginning of a new year. So in a sense, this is New Year's Day. It's an opportunity for us to to think about new beginnings, a, a fresh start, maybe even to make some of those resolutions, you know. We can be countercultural, make some resolutions before January 1st. And maybe by the end of this year, by Advent next year, we can really be different. But I'll come back to that momentarily. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and it's year A in the three-year cycle. So this is the beginning of the beginning in our church liturgy. Note, if you will, that Advent is a season unlike any of the others, but it does tie everything together. If you were in the forum this morning, you heard me talk briefly an overview of the Christian calendar. I'm going to do that really quick. For those of you who've heard it before, it's just a refresher course. For those of you who have not, let me help you understand why these seasons are so important. The seasons of the year are really a spiritual discipline that helps us to grow in our spiritual maturity. The season of Advent harkens back to a time when the people of Israel were looking forward to the coming of a deliverer. Most of the Old Testament lessons that you will hear in this season, all of the Old Testament lessons that you will hear, will be from Isaiah. And it's a time when the people of Israel were were looking at the way things are, seeing that they are not the way that God intended them to be, and looking forward to the one who will come and lead them to the fulfillment of the promise of God through Abraham. So it's a season of anticipation. It's a season of of looking forward. It's somewhat hopeful that things aren't always going to be as they are. They will be better, and we're looking forward to the coming of the Christ. For us as Christians, Advent is an opportunity for us to, to get ready for company. The Lord is coming. What is it that needs to be made ready in my life for the coming of the Lord? That gives way to Christmas time, which is the celebration of the arrival of the Christ child, Emmanuel, God is with us, right? So the awaited Christ has come in Christmas season, celebration, 12 days, shortest season of the year, but we get a party for 12 days. And then as we've celebrated the arrival of the Christ, that gives way to the season of Epiphany, In an epiphany, we're looking at what is it that this Christ, this long-awaited Christ who has now arrived, what is it that this Christ is doing in the world? It's an aha moment. Where is the Spirit at work? Recognizing where is it that God is, is working and how might we be more aware of God's working in our world? That gives way to the season of Lent. Having seen what God is doing in the world, we recognize that what God is doing in the world is often not what we are doing in the world at all. And I want to be more like God. I'm a Christian, after all. I want to be a follower of Jesus. So what is there in me that needs to change in order to be more like this Jesus, this Christ that we see at work in the world? And it's that Lenten penitential season where we do the really deep, hard work and allow the Spirit to change us from the inside out, make us over into new creatures in Christ. And then it's Easter. We've been crucified with Christ. Now we are raised with Christ. We are new creatures in Jesus Christ. And we celebrate the new person that we have become. 
And then finally, Pentecost, that long green season that we've just come through, that is our opportunity, having been made over again by the Spirit of God, how do I now join in what God is doing in the world? And then we come back to Advent, and the cycle starts all over again. So this is the beginning of an opportunity for transformation. What is it in us that needs to be made ready for the coming of the Christ? What are we anticipating? It also means that we look as the people of Israel looked at their world and ask the questions, what is it that is not in our world yet ready for the coming of the Christ? The New Testament lessons and the Gospels during this Advent season are Scripture verses that point to the second coming of Christ. You'll hear a lot of that in this season. There's a difference between the Old Testament looking forward to the coming of a deliverer and the New Testament looking forward to the second coming of Christ, at least in some segments. The people of Israel were looking forward with hopeful eyes. Things are not always going to be as they are. A lot of Christians today look to the second coming of Christ not with hope but with some measure of fear because we've been taught that when Jesus returns, if my life doesn't measure up, there is an eternity of punishment ahead for me. Any of you lived in that kind of fear? And so there are There are whole denominations, there are churches, there are segments of the Christian community that their focus during this time when we're anticipating the coming again of Christ, their entire focus is on getting as many people as possible to a place where they are saved, where they have come to believe that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord and God and accepted him into their hearts as their personal Lord and Savior. We need to get as many people as possible to believe in Jesus. And there are great missionary endeavors that take place around the world by organizations and individuals who are going in trying to convince as many people as possible that Jesus is indeed Lord and they need to believe in him so that they can avoid eternity in hell. And the entire focus of that endeavor is getting people to a place of belief. If they just believe, they will be saved. The lesson from Romans calls a little of that into question for me. Look at the opening line of this reading from Romans chapter 13. You know what time it is now. How it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. Wait a minute. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. But I thought salvation was believing. You mean I didn't receive salvation? I wasn't saved when I believed? What 
does this mean if salvation is not about belief? Salvation in the eyes of the people of Israel looking forward was the hopeful anticipation of God making things right in their world. Salvation is really about the world becoming more fully what God intended it to be in creation. And salvation for you and for me is about becoming more and more of the person the creative God designed us to be in the beginning. And that, my friends, is a process. None of us were born perfect. None of us will die perfect. But we become more and more who God intends us to be as we walk this journey of faith with God through Christ. Look with me again at the Old Testament lesson from Isaiah. If salvation is near, more near than it was when we believed, then something is happening in the world. The world is changing. Look at the encouragement of Isaiah to the people of Israel. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty hopeful picture, isn't it? A world where there is no more war, a world where swords are beat into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, and there is a just and righteous arbitrator between peoples to settle disagreements. That sounds like a pretty wonderful place. But to the people of Israel, how was that going to come about? What did Isaiah say to them? Go to the house of the Lord, for out of Zion shall go forth instruction. Instruction. Learning. Coming to a deeper, more intimate understanding of, of God and of God's ways. And then look at this last line. Neither shall they learn war anymore. What this suggests to me is that both peace and war are taught. Both peace and war are taught. Now, how do we learn? How are we taught? Where are we taught? We are taught in our homes, right? By our parents or our guardians, those who who have responsibility for us when we are, are growing up. We are taught in the homes. We are taught in our schools. We are taught both by word and by example. And sometimes our learning is from a place of fear. 
And other times our learning is from a place of hope. But we become who we are in parts by how we are formed, how we are educated, how we learn. And it is important, at least according to Isaiah, that we are learning the ways of God. For it's in learning the ways of God that we become more peaceful people and our world will become a more peaceful place. I want to bring this down to a a little more practical level. When it comes to education, learning, as Episcopalians, we we put a high price on learning. We are people who want to learn. We seek knowledge. We admire knowledge. We advance, uh, we advance the cause of education. It's important. We have programs in our local churches that are geared around education. In our society, there are studies that have been done over a course of many years that look at the importance of education, not just to individuals, but to our society as a whole. And there are some things we know. I was reading just this last week from a study that was uh, done around 2004, and there are more recent ones that collaborate with this. Higher education levels result in a decrease in poverty, a decrease in crime rates, a decrease in mortality rates, Increased education increases incomes, increases health, and those who are more educated tend to be more involved in the political life of their community and even volunteer more than those who are not. So there is a benefit in our society to being educated. We have lived through some very challenging economic times. We are in the midst of some challenging economic times. And one of the first places that we tend to look is, you know, where can we cut? And we end up doing a lot of cutting to education. Now hear me. I'm not here this morning as an activist suggesting that we all need to go out and petition to have our taxes raised to pay for better education. But what I am saying is as a society, we get the results of what we designate as priorities. And here's just one example of where our priorities lie. I've talked about how that increased education decreases crime rates. According to this study in 2004, I know it's a little dated now, but at that time, to incarcerate a prisoner cost the taxpayer roughly $26,000 every year. For every prisoner, $26,000 a year to keep them incarcerated. The average four-year public college or university To educate a student is about $25,000 a year. Does it make sense at some level that if we really want to see a change in our world, 
that it's more beneficial to us as a society to invest in education than it is to invest in building more prisons? See that teaching out of fear or teaching out of hope, I think, is really at the heart of this issue for us. The more fearful we are, the more closed off we are, the more dangerous our world becomes. The more open we are to each other, to learning, the safer our world becomes. We've seen in our culture in recent days what happens when we are open to each other, to dialogue. Barriers begin to come down. Understanding increases. And we recognize that those people who used to be our enemies really have more in common with us than we ever realized. And there are more peaceable solutions to the problems we face than picking up a gun or sending in troops. What kind of world do you really want to live in? What kind of a world do you really believe God designed us to live in? How is it that we as followers of Jesus, aware of the world in which we live, in contrast to the world we know God desires, how might we live differently in this next year to make ourselves more ready for the coming of the Christ and the world in which we live more ready for the coming of the Christ? I said at the outset, this is New Year's Day for us. And I invite you today to make some New Year's resolutions. What is there in you that is not yet ready for the coming of the Christ? What preparation can you make in this season? How might you wish to be different at the first Sunday of Advent in 2014. I invite you to consider those things, to make some resolutions, and invite the Spirit to guide you through this year to levels of deeper understanding, deeper knowledge, and more faithful living out of the person that you know God has created you to be. May this Advent one not simply be the beginning of a new church year, but the beginning of a new life and the beginning of a new world. To the glory of God, in Jesus' name.